Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see how many of you would rather be in here than outside in the best tropical storm that you can imagine. Anybody at all? Listen, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or one of the venues here at Long Point or on the internet. We are glad that you are here and uh, we are experiencing the wimpiest tropical storm in my 28 years at Charleston, and you guys braved it, and, and you're here. Not even any wind. Can you imagine that? Plenty of water, though. You know, listen, Memorial Day uh, weekend often is about, um, uh, you, you know, you, you, you go to the beach, you have a picnic, you, maybe you cook out, that type of thing. Well, not so much this year. How do you know that? And so we're going to focus on what Memorial Day weekend is supposed to be about which is to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. You know, many of our holidays become something different uh, than what they originally were intended, and we thank God for the rest and the time off. But this weekend, I believe that you are going to be marked in a way that, you, that you'll never forget uh, and remember what Memorial Day is. Why is that? Because I've invited one of my friends to come and be with us, and uh, you don't know what a privilege that is. Dave Reaver is going to be speaking Dave speaks all over the world. Uh, he uh, uh, currently um, serves as a part of the National Department of Defense in helping with our wounded warriors that come home. Uh, he is a true American hero that was uh, wounded in Vietnam, and that just began a series of things that God has used him in a powerful way. And so, Churches all over America would like to have Dave Reaver on Memorial Day weekend, and we twisted his arm. And we said, Dave, come to Charleston. It'll be nice, sunshine, beaches, <laughs> that type of thing. Oh, you know, God will use anything. And uh, Dave has earned the right to be heard as a true American hero and man of God. I am so excited about him being here. He'll tell you his story. He'll tell you what God is doing through their ministry now, and uh, you, will leave, uh, you will leave marked and changed. And so, Seacoast here and across uh, this state, would you stand and give a rowdy Memorial Day welcome to my friend Dave Reaver as he comes and he shares. They love you. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. Wow. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Please be comfortably seated. Good morning. I am so happy to be with you. You look marvelous, darling. Marvelous. I, I could not wait to get back to Seacoast. Pastor is one of my heroes. I'm going to tell you something. He's not only pastoring in Charleston, he pastors America in many, many ways. He has such a huge influence. Pastor, thank you, sir. To me, you're four stars. <clears throat> in fact, uh, after nine, two weeks after uh, September 11, 2001, I got a phone call from the Department of Defense to become a contractor with DOD and uh, worked through Central Command throughout the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, UAE, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places. And 
I consented immediately. I didn't have to even pray about it. They said, would you go? I said, let me pray about it. Amen. Okay. So it was that easy. But uh, they gave me a rank. Uh, in the U.S. Navy, I was with what was called Special Warfare Command, and I was, a, I was on a little fiberglass riverboat. They made a movie about it called Apocalypse Now, and then more recently a movie called Acts of Valor. And we were attached to, but not part of, SEAL Team 1. We were called Brownwater Black Beret, one of the smallest organizations of the Special Forces, and had the highest killed-in-action record. Per capita, we had more KIA than anyone. And a guy tried to sell me a car the other day, spell KIA. <laughs> Do not buy that car. That thing will kill you, man. No, it's a great car. I wish I could afford it. But uh, the truth is, uh, to be disfigured and maimed and whatever you want to call us from the waist up, I am mutilated, literally, uh, front and back. And I guess in all my experience, people, the one, of the, one of the most asked questions is, do you have any regrets? And I say, no, I don't have any regrets, plural. I have a regret. And this has been true of my career since the day of my injury, that if I was going to hurt this much, this long, I wish it had been for the cause of Christ that they had burned me at the stake and I survived to tell a world that Jesus is worth whatever it takes to be free in Christ. I wish I could say that. Well, I can say that, but not that I was burned at the stake. And in this case, second, second best is not first loser. Because while I did not suffer for the cause of Christ, I did suffer for the cause of freedom for America. And I'm just going to tell you on Memorial Day, I'm proud of my scars and stripes. Proud to be an American. I mean that with all my heart. And I do get a kick out of people that come up, you know, children run up, hey, and they look at me, they scream and run into stuff, and it doesn't help, and I go, ah, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> that is so cool, though. You should see them. <laughs> Teenagers, they'll say, whoa, what happened to your face? I said, well, I was burned, bobbing for French fries. <laughs> I said that to one boy, and he said, whoa, <laughs> did you get one? <laughs> But men are the best. They, they don't ever ask without a conversation first. Looks like you got hurt there, fella. What happened to your face? And he's uglier than me and never was burned. <laughs> I said, what happened to your mother? <laughs> but you know what? Might as well laugh about it because no amount of tears, no amount of self-pity, no amount of, of uh, whatever is going to make my face grow back. It's not going to pop out new ears. Uh, or give me my hair back. I, my hair was blown off in Vietnam. It was blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. <laughs> I was speaking at the Citadel, and the Joe and I walked across the parking lot, and there it goes. Boy, the wind caught it. And I started chasing it, and it was doing a slight left turn. Went out the corner of my eye. I saw it just like a streak. A dog beat me to it, brought it back. <laughs> a little mutt. So I've learned to laugh about things because I think Mary Hart, a Mary Hart does good like a medicine and, and Today, we may overdose a little. But I went to, it all comes to one thing. It's not the man on the outside. My scars are all visible. Most of you who have scars, they're on the inside. And there's a million ways to get hurt, but there's only one way to be healed. Because Dave Reaver doesn't stand here today in the power of his own might, in my own strength, not at all. I stand here today in the power of the Spirit of God. I can do nothing 
without God. And yet I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you take Jesus out of the picture, there's no picture. It's a horror story. It's a monster mash. I'm glad to tell you Jesus makes the difference. If you agree with that, put your hands together for Jesus on this Memorial Day. So bottom line is it's well with my soul. My body's a mess from the bottom of my left foot. There's a steel plate that runs in a bar up my leg to an artificial knee that goes to two rods and 12 screws that hold together six broken vertebrae from a bad jump from a helicopter two, three years ago now. Uh, and it goes up to a steel uh, braid that holds my chest together inside me and then to connect my ear and my hair. I got all these parts and when I die, they're going to open the Ace Hardware at the cemetery. I thought it was funny too. I just, uh, <laughs> but I don't travel alone. I travel with Dave and Kathy Wampler who have been my faithful friends for over 26 years of ministry. And uh, her dad and I fought in the same war and I've known her since she was a baby. And I got to tell you, the anointed life of this woman qualifies her to sing. And it is the song that I like. Would you welcome Kathy Wampler as she sings it as well with my soul. <laughs>
Beautiful, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. So it's a statement from the song, but it's a question from your speaker today. Is it well with your soul? What's the state of your being with Christ? If you don't know Christ and you've never made that decision, never a better day than today. Amen? Well, I know some of us are strangers to each other. I can tell by the way you look at me. Some of you are like, what happened to his face, Alice? And of course, I was wondering how you were doing and came to the conclusion that when we have scars, we are more like Jesus in this respect. Let me explain. Jesus said, take, this is my bread, this, take this bread, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, there's something about being broken that I learned as a child growing up. I was born to a mom that was uh, invalid after my birth for the rest of her life. She died curled up in a fetal position after decades in communicado. And I used to not like God because I thought God did that to her because people would say, Lois, repent and God will heal you like Jesus didn't succeed at the cross, so he has to make up the difference on my mom. And I, I, as a young kid growing up, I grew up in a minister's home, but I didn't like God because I thought he'd done that. But God doesn't do evil, amen? God just does not do evil. But the evil one, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. We who know Christ have found that abundant life, and it's an exciting life. And I never dreamed that being the only one in the history of our family to ever serve in the military. They never ran from it. They just fell in the slots between wars. But boy, I hit the jackpot. And I got this notice to go take a physical, and I wrote back and told them that I felt pretty good, but I appreciated their inquiry into my health. <laughs> they insisted I take that physical, which I did, and it was the only exam I passed that whole college semester. I got no plus on the blood test. You got it. Well, it ends up that I got drafted, and so to avoid getting hurt in the military, I joined the Navy where I'd be safe. It's like I got up one morning and had a bad year. And on July the 26th, and with all the young people here, I kind of hate to say it, 1969, I know it sounds to them like that's right after the War of 1812. It was after, but not right after. Uh, I picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade, and I Pulled the pin, drew back to throw it, not realizing I was in the crosshairs of a sniper. It was months later in the hospital whenever consciousness was more frequent and I could comprehend things, and they told me that I was hit by a sniper. Well, it took almost half my skin, and uh, it, as I, you've already heard, got my hair, but my artificial ear, uh, which is, is really a benefit in some ways. I can leave it here and listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone. Uh, but one night in Jamaica, I was preaching, and it fell off. I didn't know it fell off. It was laying on my shoulder. I, <laughs> and the crowd was silent except for the sucking sound of, <gasps> and they're pointing at me, and of course, I checked my fly. Man's got to do what a man's got to do, you know. <laughs> Everything was fine there, and I look around, and I saw my ear, and you can't ignore it because they're not breathing. It's about to be Jonestown without the grape Kool-Aid. So I grabbed my ear and dried the sweat and stuck it back on. It got worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. <laughs> I guess that's worse because I couldn't tell them it was a phony ear. Then they would have thought I was a phony preacher and stoned me. And pastor didn't want me to say I went to Jamaica and got stoned. 
That just doesn't sound right, does it? But all of that in a humorous way, delivered from my lips to your ears, I want you to hear this most important part. God had a plan for my life. He didn't do this to me. He doesn't do evil. But he didn't stop it from happening. And I never will forget the day that Jan Crouch, who, by the way, can use your prayer today, Wednesday, she had a massive stroke and is not expected to make it. But Jan Crouch looked at me on television one night and she said, you know why God lets you be scarred, maimed, and burned, don't you? It was the question I didn't know the answer to. And it kind of ticked me off that she brought it up. And I wanted to pinch her little head off, but it wasn't the Jay Springer show. It was Christian TV where you fake it for Jesus. And I faked being a gentleman when I didn't want to be a gentleman. I looked at her and said, well, I don't know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. And she looked at me over her glasses. And when a woman does this to me, I just go to the corner and stand where I know she's about to send me. She said, Jesus didn't do that to you. But Davy, she said, he didn't stop it from happening because he knew he could trust you with the scars. For 20 years to that date, and it was on a Memorial Day Monday night broadcast, I was there with General Robinson Reisner, the highest-ranking prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton, they called it, the Wallow Prison in Vietnam, where he was held captive. She looked at me and she said, he didn't do it to you, but he didn't stop it from happening because he knew he could trust you with the scars. What has God trusted you with? And you're doing this. Why me, God? Don't, don't do that. What if he answered you? Well, I don't know, Boudreaux. There's something about you I don't like. <laughs> so I didn't ask him why me? I didn't understand, though, why he didn't stop that little bullet. And that night she answered that question for me, that God trusted me with scars because now I go into public schools and I travel the world with our military to every hellhole in, in the world, literally, wherever our troops are, they send me. And I'm going to tell you something. If I had not been down the road I've been down, they would never have called. Because they don't call me because I'm good looking, although that doesn't, it's not like, okay, we'll leave that one there. They don't call me because of my mighty military strength. I have to sit down because I still have back cramps after all that surgery. They don't call me for my academic achievements because I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. <laughs> Why do they call me? Because a man with a scar is hard to deny. His scars speak louder than his words. St. Francis of Assisi said it so well. Preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. Let your light so shine. Let men see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Let your, let your light shine in this world. And so I realized that Jesus didn't go to Calvary in a limousine to die by lethal injection. They crucified him, hands up, palms out. whole world could see him. When he says, I know how you feel, we believe him. He's been there, done that, and he got the scar. Forget the T-shirt. He got the scar. So... I don't apologize for my scars. I'm proud of them, as I said. But I've learned to use them because my motto is never let a good scar go to waste. When the devil takes a hit at you and he knocks you down, get up, knock him down twice. Get, I call it one-upmanship. He hits me once, I hit him twice, one-up. And that's how you win. You never, ever settle with the devil. You agree with that? Say amen. So on July 26, that sniper squeezed off around that would... Alter my destination? No, my destiny. The difference is destination is where we're going. Destiny is how we go about getting there. And it altered my destiny. 
And in doing so, I have found the most exciting walk with Christ I ever dreamed possible. I never have a boring day. I never, ever look back and say, what if? Because there's 10 million answers to the what ifs. But there's only one answer to what happened. It happened. And there's only one way it could have happened. So you don't look back and wonder what if. And I've survived very well. And they've sent me to all these places. But the most dangerous place I've ever gone is a public school. And you speak to kids that if you don't win them in the first 15 to 30 seconds, you don't get them at all. You got to win them. And I've had them come up to me showing me their scars where they've cut their wrists. Little girls as cutters have cut their legs trying to get someone to look at them and see their bleeding heart. So I've always said, thank you, Lord, for the scars that you have permitted me to share with a world that's broken because we are best like Jesus when we are broken. And I don't know that there's anything that has been more, more breaking to me than to work with our warriors. I had one in particular comes to my mind that whenever he was injured, he was burned 100% third degree. He wouldn't sustain the injury. He, he would die. And I was rushed into the hospital in what's called the green zone then. Later became known as the international zone. And whenever I walked in, the doctor recognized me. Uh, a CD was put out by the Army about me called The Real Deal. And it it's, my, it's my testimony, my story. And my picture's on the front of it. And he had one of those. He said, Mr. Reaver, that room, quick. I ran in, and there he was, 100% third degree, swollen twice his normal size. And they were making two-inch deep cuts down each leg and arm, trying to allow the flesh to ooze out from the skin because he was in so much pain. When I walked in, I slipped my arm under his head, and I whispered in the hole inside of his head where his ear used to be. And I said to him, you know, this is not a hospital, it's a sanctuary. And you know... This is not a gurney. It's an altar, and you know you're more than a soldier. You're a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. And on behalf of a grateful nation, I came to tell you thank you. His body shuddered in a long, slow breath out two holes in the front of his head where his nose had been, exhaled his last breath. And that day, a 19-year-old died for me and for you. Just a kid, a teenager. I don't know how it affects you, but it makes me want to say, let's give our teenagers a little break before we fly off the handle and accuse them of everything. Give them a second chance. You never know which one's going to die for you. And when he passed that day, I remembered the words of Abraham Lincoln to a Mrs. Bixby who lost five of her sons, all five. Every one of her boys were killed in the war. And he wrote to her on behalf of the nation from the information he got from the War Department and from the Massachusetts where the young man was from and he said to her the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom brings us back to the cliche that should never be a cliche should be a motto freedom's not free at any cost, it's a good deal. Freedom is not free. 
And I was in the hospital there, Brook Army Medical Center for a year and two months. The helicopter landed to pick me up and when they rowed me on the stretcher, I was still burning. Even though I had jumped off my little river boat into the water, the phosphorus and all you military know what I'm talking about. It's phosphorus burns in water. And whenever they put me on the stretcher, it caught fire and ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> Nothing went right that day. They rolled me up, wet blankets in the helicopter, and away we go. And the medic's filling out my death report. And I'm thinking, I got to get his attention. This is starting to really hurt now. The shock is wearing off. I said, medic. And he almost jumped out of the helicopter. The pilot lost control. We were dropping like a rock. And I thought, good Lord, we're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor. They got me to Saigon, then Japan, where I very stupidly asked for a mirror, and they rather stupidly brought it. They shouldn't have brought it. And I looked up with one eye, and I thought back to the little girl that I loved so much. She wasn't my high school sweetheart. She was my junior high school sweetheart, the only girl I ever loved in all my life, the only girl I've ever loved. And I remember kissing her goodbye, and she said to me, Are you coming back? <laughs> I said, I'll be back without a scar. I should have said, I'll be back, <laughs> and I could be governor of California. <laughs> but I said, I'll be back without a scar. And when I looked up in the mirror, that one eye, and I looked at what I saw, I knew it was nothing but scar. And my brain said, forget your heart. She'll never love you. You're a freak and a monster. And what I did next, quite literally, I'm ashamed of. I tried, I tried to kill myself. I thought if I get me out of her misery, her life will be better. And I had no gun or knife. I just pulled the tube out and laid my head back and waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled out lunch. Now, you can die that way, but it's going to take a while. <laughs> but if you smell pizza cooking, you're going to plug that tube back in. Because I really didn't want to die. And I want to say to every one of you in a crowd this size, it doesn't take divine revelation. Just don't give suicide a second thought. It's the second thought that'll kill you. Tomorrow is always the hope. One second past midnight, his mercies are new all over again. So if you've been dealing with and struggling with thoughts of self-destruction, stop it right here, right now. Listen to a man that can tell you from experience, no matter how low you go, Sometimes the best foundation is poured upon rock bottom and build your way back in faith. Jesus is still the answer. Give it up for the Lord here today. Isn't that good? Jesus is still the answer. So today I travel the world and I speak for our troops. And not long ago I was in Dover, Delaware, and I spoke for NSA and also for Dover Air Force Base and for uh, Fort Meade, which is uh, the intelligence part of all the military uh, branches of service, and for Dover, Delaware, this is hard for me to get it all out, it's the Dover, Delaware Mortuary Affairs of the United States Air Force. And a colonel came to me and he said, have you been through the morgue? I said, no, and thank God. I thought he was teasing me a little bit, you know, and, but he wasn't. And I realized that. He said, I'd like to give you a tour. I said, lead on, sir. And he took me over. And for time's sake, let me rush through some of this. The entrance was beautiful. It was engraved and chiseled marble. And, and 
a, a recorded history there in stone of the mortuary affairs. But when he took me to the autopsy room, I just couldn't go in. Out of nothing more than pure respect for the valor of those that have given so much, I could not go in that room to gawk. There was no one on the table. That's not the point. It was like the Holy of Holies. If you're not trained and you're not supposed to be there, you shouldn't be there. And I explained that to him. He said, I got it done. But I said, Colonel, is this not one of the most difficult assignments, if not the most difficult you've ever been given in serving your country? He said, well, this is difficult, but not here. He said, come, I'll take you there. And he took me to a room about the size of this bottom floor. And it was all uniforms of all branches of the service, perfectly hung each one. And it was like a warehouse for the base exchange where you go buy a new uniform. But it wasn't that. You've already figured it out, haven't you? He said to me, every one of these are like a burial shroud. Well, one day be filled with the remains of a man or woman who loved this country more than themselves, loved you and me, Dave, more than themselves. And the overwhelming number of just the uniforms so caught me off guard, I felt my knees go weak. I said, is it here, Colonel? He said, well, not here, but come, he said. I'll take you there. And he took me over to what's called the Fisher House, a beautiful home appointed with the finest Corinthian leather and mahogany wood. And, and it's where parents and family members are consoled and counseled while the families are waiting for their remains to arrive on what's called the angel flight. And I'll get to that in a moment. I said, is it here? He said, no, but come, I'll show you. I'll take you there. And he took me to the chapel where there was a little ante room. And I knew the minute I looked in that door, I knew where I was. The big giant stuffed panda bear and the Tonka toys on the floor. I knew I was in the romper room for the children who would not understand, but they knew something was terribly bad. Something had gone horribly wrong. They just didn't know what it was. And the toys would distract but they knew. And the chalkboard, not eye level to an adult, was down at the floor level, eye level to a child. And it's not the blackboard. It's what was written on it that struck me down to where I was just jelly. Written on it were these words. My mommy means the world to me. The mommy that child would never sit in the lap of again or hear the hum of amazing grace or the loss. Edward R. Murrow said, oh, the humanity. I wept. I said, it's here, isn't it, Colonel? It doesn't get any worse than this. He said, infinitely worse. Come, he said, I'll take you there. And he took me to the final stop, which was at the flight line where the giant C-5A or the C-130, the C-17 these cargo planes would come in sometimes with helicopters on board or maybe a whole load of paratroopers. But today, the heaviest and weightiest load the airplane would ever carry was strapped in a little container called a transfer case. We would call it a coffin. Men and women in uniform would step sharply in and hoist that transfer case and march off that aircraft and load it on a waiting truck that would turn and go down the street to the mortuary to that room that I would not enter. I said, sir, 
what happens next? He said, well, there's a big rope that hangs between the scene I've just described for you and the parents, the family waiting on the other side because what's coming off of that airplane is more than the remains of a loved one. It's like a train going to run right over them because for the first time, their eyes will behold the very container of the most prized possession of their lives. What a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. I said, then what happens? He said, well, sometimes, Mr. Reaver, we have a runner. I said, what's the runner? He said, that's when Mama can't take it anymore. And she jumps that rope. Logic is out the window. Common sense doesn't matter. That's her baby in that box, and she wants her baby back. I said, and then? He said, she takes off down the street chasing that truck. I said, what do you do currently? He said, well, I have to jump the rope and chase her. I have to catch her. I said, what do you do? He said, I just hold her. And I said, and what do you say? And he said, Mr. Reaver, in 30 years of service to my country, the most difficult assignment I've ever been given is to say the right thing, but there's nothing you can say to a mama whose baby will never come home with her again. So I close with a question. Have you ever loved anything so much that you chased a truck to catch it? Well, I have. It's called America. I love my country. And a truck called America has in the back of it the remains of a freedom where a child could pray in school and marriage was still called holy matrimony. I want my country back. I want America back. <laughs> At any cost. So I'll close with a little short video I'd like you to see, and you'll see the places I go in service for my country today, just returning from Afghanistan. And you'll see my work in Iraq, and you'll see the ranches we built where the Department of Defense still sends me on active duty. They're young warriors. They come with no legs, and we put them back on their feet. I hope this video will mean something to you on this Memorial Day.
one more angel flight. We'll all take it one day, won't we? My question, do you have a ticket purchased? Has it been punched yet? Are you ready for that last flight? If not, know this today. Jesus paid for that ticket. He'll punch that ticket at the right time. And you can take it home to glory. Until that day, I pray that you come to know Christ in the most personal way possible and that you can say there's no story without Jesus because without Christ, I have nothing to say. It's been my esteemed benefit and pleasure to be with you today. Church, I know I'm a stranger in that I don't live in your beautiful community. I don't get to attend this church regularly. Many years ago, the first time I came, my heart was given to this great man and his family and to his ministry. I've always held you dear. So when I say I love you, that's sign language. But my thumb got blown off. I speak sign language with a lisp. It means I love you. I really do. My name is Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message.